What's going on? What's going on? Entertain the geeky. What about horror-themed board games or tabletop games? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, there's, like, my favorite game of all time, my favorite board game is Betrayal Legacy. I, really? Yeah. Betrayal okay. Legacy especially uh, does a lot of wild things with the fact that you only play through it really once. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, they have a lot of these sort of surprises and weird uh, weird ideas that are brought up. There's, like, this whole component that's given sort of a Ouija board-like status. The The rules say that you have to sort of make a ritual chant when yeah. you, whenever you take it out or put it back in the box. And, of course, we, we did that. But it just adds <laughs> to the atmosphere around the table. Yeah, By, it, it, it yeah. sounds like uh, when you play Curse of Strahd. Right. Yeah, my favorite, uh, my favorite like bit in a lot of in any tabletop game is the whole somebody leaving the room to become a traitor. Yeah, in betrayal, because there is this very noticeable feeling that happens when they leave and come back, like they have become othered from the group. Right, you're like, man, we're friends, but fuck you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a betrayal at House on the Hill is my favorite for sure, and it blast of a game lots of replayability i've not i've not played betrayal legacy though that sounds freaking sweet it is a ride you know what's funny i recently uh so my D group we took a couple of weeks off from our campaign and while we were doing that i um i ran merle's truck stop and all of the people in my group it was their first time playing it and they were like, this is freaking so much fun. Where do we, you know, can we get a copy of it? Blah, blah, blah. They were like, this is so just outside of the loop of what we expected. Yeah, it's a it's a good time. I, I love the whole, uh, I, I like I said, I love like B-Horror a lot and camp. Right. So that sort of system, that one shot system really plays into that, uh, that hand. It does, and then with how outlandish all of the scenarios are that you roll, you know, that you can roll out for that game, it it makes it even more campy and goofy and even more fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, okay, so I guess we'll I guess we'll try to keep this on somewhat of a somewhat of a track here. So horror video games, you named a few. Um, you said you typically like the more campy stuff. You typically like the more campy stuff. Sorry, I'm watching the kid in the background here. Yeah. Um. What uh, has there? Have you ever played a horror game and like got into it and just been like, "Fuck this, it's too much." Um. So, I so I mentioned Outer Wilds beforehand, and that game, it it, it doesn't really present itself as a horror game a lot until sort of the very end of the game. There is one section that is uh, you're, you're swimming through sort of like an underwater planet with anglerfish all around you. OK. <laughs> and they play these anglerfish up to be just like incredibly uh, like disturbing and threatening, especially for me, who's like afraid of things deep underwater, right. like deep sea fish. So that was one where I almost stopped and I might have because but like because i was streaming it i forced myself to continue 
Um, similarly, in the opposite direction, it's not a horror game, but Dishonored 2, I had to stop playing because of the blood flies. Really? They're like these swarming insects, and the the sound that they make is so like visceral that it just shot up my panic attacks. I was like, oh, I cannot stay here. Just completely unnerving for you. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah, I I remember playing Resident Evil for the first time. And the uh, the first cutscene, the first time you see a zombie, it was on Sega Saturn, as a matter of fact. I don't know if you've ever played a Sega Saturn. Um, but there's a, there's a cutscene where this zombie turns and you it's like this over the shoulder look and it oh my god i was like fuck this i never wanted to see another cutscene in that game after that playing oh the god. game was okay but it totally freaked me out because i was you know six-year-old kid seven yeah maybe seven or eight yeah i think i was probably six seven eight somewhere in there so it was just like it looked like you know something that you would see in a movie at that point in time i was like this is fucking terrifying man i don't want to see this yeah um God, so here's here's how much of a like coward I was when I was a kid. I had no tolerance for this shit and still don't really. But uh so there was this game called Piglet's Big Game, and it was a kids game made by Disney, mm -hmm. but it is unequivocally a survival horror game. Like it has the atmosphere, the lighting, the sound design, the ambiance, <laughs> the visual design of a survival horror game. Okay. But like for kids, you know, and that was one where I got so scared as a kid that I couldn't beat it and my mom had to beat it. No shit. Yeah. Uh, we actually, we just talked about it on my other podcast, NetSurfer Pro, and like it's a really well-made game, all things considered. Like, you would think, like, for a kid's game that's kind of spooky, it would be, like, garbage. But it has a lot of weight to it, and the mechanics are actually pretty good. Going back and playing it nowadays, I was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, this, this is, is a pretty, legit like... Game. This is a legit game. It's also, like, not <laughs> super scary nowadays, but as a kid, I'd understand why I got scared of it. And I think stuff like that, like that's sort of what shied me away from survival horror type stuff. Okay. Uh, nowadays, like I said, I like the atmospheric, like, walking simulator stuff because there's much less of a threat to me in more of, like, weird things I can't comprehend, I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mentioned Yumaniki. It's a, it's an RPG Maker game. Uh, like a horror game on RPG Maker that is entirely like in this giant web of surreal dreams. And that is another one where nothing really hurts you, but everything looks just kind of weird and bizarre and off-putting. And since there's no like logic to the, the sense of where you're going or what you're doing, it, it, it leaves a lot to interpretation, but... I'm one of those people whose imagination is a lot more scarier than a monster design. Well, what was it? There was a series similar to that. Um, I gotta look it up here. Because it was, it was a video game. Fudge, what was that called? Was it Dream Door? It might have been Dream Door. Hmm. Oh, man. This is going to bother me now. 
I remember seeing previews for it. it basically, you're a kid in the shadow dream world trying to fight your way through it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, was it 2D or 3D? It was 3D. Okay. Um, but it was very cartoony. Very mm-hmm. cartoony. Uh, gosh, damn it. If at any other point in time I would have been able to tell you the name of this game, this is horrible. Oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter all that much. No, there's a, there's a couple of like horror-themed games that have come out in the last like five or six years that kids have really gotten into, though. Like right. Five Nights at Freddy's and uh, Hello Neighbor. Both of my kids got in, or my oldest got into those, not both of them. My oldest got into those, and he was like, Dad, Five Nights at Freddy's is so cool. And I was like, what is Five Nights at Freddy's? It was like Chuck E. Cheese from hell. Yeah. I So, uh, yeah, I, I when I first saw the game, like the very first Five Nights at Freddy's, I was like, I completely understand why this is scary. And mm-hmm. this is the type of thing I've wanted to see in a horror game. Just like fucked up animatronics right um and uh, i i think though like the the kids horror thing i don't think it's really new per se uh you know like you you think about like uh you know being a kid and going into a bathroom and screaming bloody mary or something yeah i think kids <laughs> have always been kind of interested in the macabre of but course. like nowadays i think it's also that that is now this huge market that is uh, being directly marketed to even more than before, maybe. There's not, like, a moral panic around, like, Ouija boards or anything, you know? Right. At right. least well, you, don't, you don't see the, like, satanic panic about Freddy or Poppy's playtime. Right. We did see it a couple of years ago, though, with, uh... God, it was that, that YouTube video. Um, Are you talking about Slenderman? No, no, no. There was some creepy face uh, that would pop up in a YouTube video... It was in like kids' videos, and it would tell them to like hurt themselves and hurt their parents and stuff. Hmm. Um, and it was like basically some asshole somewhere on the internet decided to put this uh put this creepy face like creepy face that would speak in these videos, and it would be like you'd be watching some sing along thing for a period of time. Um, creepy. Right. Yeah. There was this was one of the big deals with this sort of finger family. Uh, like it was Momo. It was Momo, Momo. right? Yeah, yeah. It, Momo encouraged child suicide. Yes, and like my wife and I were talking about it one day, and I saw it, and I was like, Jesus, that's fucking scary. Yeah, a a lot of those things on YouTube, kids are messed up and like really just awful. They really are, man. It's well, it's everything is so much more accessible now, and mm-hmm. like there's so many game platforms where you can get great games for free and stuff like that. I mean, look at Fortnite. Fortnite's a huge game. You don't have to pay for it to play it. Um, and there's more and more stuff coming out like that. And I think, wasn't Five Nights at Freddy's free? No. It was like it, $5, I think. Okay, so it was like super affordable then. But and, what made on. Five Nights at Freddy's big was the the Let's Players and the YouTubers. Right. It's that it's not that they have to buy the game to play it, but they get a lot of enjoyment out of watching other people play it. Well, that's something that I've I've noticed in general is like huge with kids now. Mm-hmm. Like it's uh the whole let's watch people play concept. I mean, when I was a kid, I watched my brother play video games. I would watch I would watch uh like my uncles play video games, but I didn't. I don't know if it was if it was like that or go outside. I would just assume to have gone outside. Sure. 
yeah. but I I was like a you know Nerf gun in the woods kid, so that's right, yeah. that's not all that surprising. Um, okay, so like diving back into these horror themed games, um, we'll jump back to tabletop games. You said uh, Betrayal Legacy is your go-to. Do you have any others that you're um, all about? Like Mysterium is great, even though that's not really a scary game or a spooky game. Mm-hmm. It It is about ghosts and such, but I think it's a lot more laid back. Okay. It sort of takes the approach to to ghosts in haunted houses in a sort of almost like Victorian way. Where it's very okay. tame in comparison, but the existence of the ghost is the point. Uh, but it's it's a fun little co-op uh, game where, like, one person's a ghost sending visions to the other people. And it has, like, surreal artwork on the cards because it's one of those, like, card association games where you try to interpret the artwork in some way. Interesting. Uh, but the surreal art really helps sort of the atmosphere and the theme of it being, like these weird fever visions that are popping into your head from a ghost. Yeah, that's super rad. Have you um have you played Werewolf? Uh yeah. And what what are your thoughts on that? I I'm really bad at the sort of conversational social deduction games. Okay. Where like really the only mechanics are talking to people gotcha. and then like making a decision. Because I I can like read people when there are uh, other sort of like components in play and i can i can man- maneuver around those situations using game mechanics for something like i don't know the resistance or coup right but when it comes to just talking i am very bad well and that game is like just you the game is all f- bullshitting you know yeah. what i mean like when you really get down to the nitty-gritty you you want to kind of exist in the space to where you could be the werewolf but they don't know and that that's kind of where the game I think is the most fun is playing it almost in an antagonistic fashion. Yeah. But uh yeah, that's that's one of my favorite games for newbies though. Mhm. Yeah, that's a that's a good one because it's very mechanics light. You can really introduce it to a large group at once and have everyone involved. Mhm. It's a great for just like a party of people who don't really play board games. Absolutely. Do you have uh have you played Eldritch Sign? Um, oh god. I've played we played one of those because there's two games that are very similar. I think Eldritch Sign was the one I did play. Yeah, I, there there's two, and I think they're both by Fantasy Flight, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And similarly I played a bit of the Arkham Horror LCG. Oh, okay, yeah, the Arkham Horror LCG is one of them that I was thinking of, um, because that's a that's Fantasy Flight. Mm-hmm. What yeah. were your th- What were your thoughts on that one? I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, All, the LCGs are really interesting. Like being a being somebody that's played Magic on and off for twenty years, basically. Like having a. I play formats now in Magic that are very legacy card like. There's still um there's still the trading card aspect, but everything's so available now with the internet that it's like I don't know it Magic's basically a legacy card game now mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. The only difference is most packs I can't go out and buy and know exactly what I'm gonna get. 
but they have packs where I can do that. So if I need cards X, Y, and Z, and I know they come in that pack, I can get it. It's, a, I mean, yeah. TCGs are basically legacy games now. Yeah, the um, the the living card game format is really good if you are the type to just want to like construct decks and play constructed. Mm-hmm. But as a draft player, uh, I mean, I, I I mainly had experience with Netrunner, but it was not very. It didn't really have a draft format. Right. I know you were pretty into Netrunner there for a minute. Yeah. Um. Uh. Going back to horror. Yeah. I. I think. So horror in board games is really interesting to me because board games, you kind of, other than legacy games that hide things in like packs and stuff, uh, you kind of have to know all the parts of the game to play the game. So it's up to either the art design to make like something that is unsettling, which is very hard to do. The game mechanic design to like add a lot of tension which is a little easier to do, but not much. Right. And then just like generally whoever is hosting the game to add atmosphere. So like a good DM can definitely make something that's eerie and, you know, kind of creepy, very moody. Uh, But I think a lot of the horror board games kind of tend to play off of B-horror tropes just because that's a lot easier to do successfully in board game form. That That's what I was just going to say. I think having that like more campy aspect to it or that, that laughable portion of it makes it a lot easier to kind of lean into and right. not fuck up. It probably also helps that a lot of board game designers are huge nerds and huge nerds <laughs> love campy <laughs> B-horror. That's the honest to God truth. Uh, I do think Dead of Winter is one that plays uh, sort of tension really well. Because Dead of Winter that's, does. Yeah, because there's a lot of risk involved in just like trying to brave the cold weather to scrounge for resources. Mm-hmm. There are There's the whole uh, hidden traitor mechanic that somebody might be a traitor or they might not. And there's... I actually... I think the like feeding people aspect is also very appropriate because the the conflict involved in like do i get enough food for you know the all the survivors do i try to get more gasoline for the actual like right. objective this round uh making those hard choices i think plays into the the raw horror that they're going for there i agree well dead of winter so high stress man yeah like- it similarly agricola very high stress game agricola is high stress just I don't know. Agricola, I didn't think was like horror themed at all. It's not horror themed, but I like to joke that it is because of how stressful it is. Just because of all the tension built into the game. You have to eat your family pet if you want to survive the winter. I mean, fair enough, because that's not that is pretty horror themed. If anything, it's at least the most accurate to like medieval Dark Ages subsistence farming. It's like, do I have to eat my little sister if things get really bad? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of, like, not necessarily games that have, like, you know, werewolves, vampires, zombies, dark trees, full moon at night. But just <laughs> games where the the mechanics add a lot of tension and make what? it so that, like, you're always on edge. I think that could be a fun thing to talk about, though. So how would you, because you do game design, how would you design a game 
that was horror themed? Like, what would you do to create that tension and whatnot? Obviously, we know you would have your brother do the artwork. Yes, That's a of given. course. <laughs> yeah. Jeff Craig, great, great designer, illustrator, uh, great at video games as well, as I've alluded to. So uh, I, I think for me, if I were to make a horror game, I would probably want there to be essentially just like I, I think about like a lot of cooperative games that have like decks of cards that you flip over uh, something like that, where there is like the possibility of a drastically bad outcome mm-hmm. that especially ones where the player has to sort of try and anticipate uh, what's coming up. Like, so uh, during a game jam, we made a cooperative game where you're like scrounging through the depths of a cruise ship. And in that one, we had sort of a whole flood mechanic where, uh, okay, similar to like forbidden Island. Yeah. Where like, as you go on, the water pressure would increase waves would rock the boat and you would like take damage or lose hunger. If you were in the boat or drop items. And, uh, and and then like as you went further down into the depths of the ship, the water pressure would increase and it got harder. And so the idea was that like just existing and trying to do the main goal means you have these these risks present. But additionally, each sort of room that you could be in had their own individual risks. And so it was always a gamble of like, am I healthy enough? Do I have enough food? Am I carrying too many items right now? Do and, I even, yeah, do I want to go into another room and risk the yeah, unknown? There's yeah. there's paranoia involved. Yeah, I think I think timers or time limits are a good way to create stress in a horror game. Mm-hmm. Like when when you were talking about the the flooding thing, like Forbidden Island did pop into my head, and I'm like, man, if if I were gonna make a uh, a horror themed game, I would totally do. I would use a similar mechanic to that, right? To just a stress the game and then i i would have it ramped differently and i might do it like depending on the the flavor of the game you could take a sinking island and turn it into an island being over not an island but a city being overrun by uh zombies and it would like very easy to do because you could be like oh this quadrant was just overrun so you probably want to avoid that you hear that matt leacock there's your new one forbidden city right right yeah, uh, similarly, Pandemic, the other Matt Leacock game. Pandemic's has, so good, too. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, another Legacy game. Yeah, that's true. Dude, oh, I... Oh, wait, uh, we, we did quit Pandemic Legacy because it was too stressful. Did you? I, I I had, like, panic attacks playing that game. I was like, oh, my God, we failed so much. That's so crazy. So I recently... Uh, I went to the store not that long ago, and I did not own a copy of Pandemic. Not Pandemic Legacy, just regular Pandemic. And I was like, man, I should. this is something that everybody should have in their collection. Um, so I was just kind of peeking around. Well, they had it in a clearance section. It was like 25 or 30 bucks, which is way cheaper than it normally is. So I nabbed that, and I nabbed a copy of uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill because that was discounted to 35 and it was like hard not to justify that. I'm like, I don't even care if I, you know, ever play Pandemic again, but I have to have a copy of it. Well, sure enough, the kids were like, Dad, we should we should play these games. They love Betrayal and Pandemic, and both are super stressful games. Yeah, Betrayal's a little more campy, but really, still, 
really just like cooperative games tend to be very stressful because sort of by design they have to be challenging but since you can't like count on the players to challenge each other the way a typical competitive game does you have to create this sort of uh you know ebb and flow of difficulty and spirit island is i think my second favorite board game right behind betrayal and that is another one where i i constantly panic at like oh we're gonna we're gonna lose this game and we never lose the game but it feels like we will and and it's it's all of these all of these cooperative games just play off like you don't know what's going to get attacked but you know something will get attacked if you leave it be too long then it'll be worse and you can't completely stop it those are i think the three tenets of this sort of timer system well, I think the thing that I think you're right that cooperative games make for good horror theme games because there's also that uh, that right out of the gate, the element of the unknown as far as what the other players are going to do and how they're going to affect your gameplay. Because like your fate is in their hands as well. What's scarier than that? You can't even save yourself. Right. That's also why I think hidden traitors are so popular and in oh, horror yeah. games oh yeah because there is the element of distrust you sow. it kind of bridges the the gap between the theme and real life you know not that you know anybody's distrustful if they're a really good werewolf but it's just that if they're playing the game and they're being distrustful then you the person playing the game will be wary oh yeah if that, if that makes sense no sort of the role the playing the really progresses that way well, I think that's one of my favorite. I, that's one of my favorite things about the horror-themed uh, genre of games is it is easier to get because the the stress level. It's easier to get caught up in the overall flavor of the game, so it, you you role play it better. And I think that makes it more enticing and more exciting. Just as uh, somebody that's into escapism, you know. Mm-hmm. Like if uh, I'm gonna, if way, I'm going to do this, I want to get sucked in. What's up? By the way, uh, Don't Wake Daddy is a horror game. Don't Wake Daddy is a fucking horror game. and Especially if the little nightcap gets stuck in your throat because it flings it into your face. Don't do that. <laughs> I feel like there's almost a story behind that. Did you choke on the nightcap? Oh, Did on I... my end, you are, uh, you're kind of glitching out there for a second. Oh, I'm sorry. I said action uh, was all messed up. Okay. Did you choke on the nightcap? No, I didn't. <laughs> but I think they stopped putting those in the game in in further printings. Cuz like, you know, children's game put a tiny little thing in it. I mean, that was that was completely dumb, but that's the same thing that Mousetrap was. I think they were made by the same company too. Um, what was There was a game before Don't Wake Daddy, and it was basically the same thing operation also you could argue is a horror theme game it's a jump scare game uh there was uh it was a perfection was it yeah perfection was the one yes you would uh yeah you had the timer and you would put these pieces basically puzzle pieces in this board that would eventually explode and the 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 whole premise of the game was to get everything in properly before they were shot at you i don't think they make that game anymore either they might i'm not sure have you ever played Scategories? Speaking of like classic board games here. I I have not played Scategories since I was a little kid. Right. So 
in in recent printings they they have just like a, a typical digital timer but we have a copy from like 95 97 or so oh yeah and they have the gnarliest timer it's like uh it's like an egg timer mm-hmm. but as it ticks it just makes this buzzing that's like not quite quiet but not quite loud but then when it stops it makes a click and a huge buzz that shakes the whole table just enough to and, let you know it's there yeah yeah i just need that in a horror game like Give me can one i just get here, like Matt. Sorry, the baby needed a little help there. Like, can I just get, like, a random timer that sometimes will buzz really loudly and shake the entire table? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know when it's going to happen, but it could happen. That would yeah. be so easy to do with a cell phone ti- uh, timer. Mm-hmm. Like, have a have a random developer do it. Or have a developer do it. and it, Oh, my God, that's a great idea. Yeah. It, that's something that uh, we wanted to do when we made that Game Jam game, was just have an app that randomly will rock the boat. So that, oh, like, fantastic. you you kind of want to almost speed up your turns. There's, like, a hot potato element, you know? Yeah. Of, like, I don't want to end my turn while this is going on. I want to, like, wait for somebody else to do it. Heck yeah. Hot potato is a jump scare game. Uh, I... <laughs> Or musical chairs. Yeah. Musical chairs is survival horror. <laughs> it is survival horror. And it's like, you know, yeah. who's gonna if you fall off into the abyss if you don't uh land in a chair. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. The floor is lava. Survival now, horror. Yeah. Now I think that um if I wanted to design a game that was like scary like that, jump scares seem to be very I don't know, simplistic to do. I'm not sure if I'd want to do a jump scare based game for a game to be atmospherically creepy, though. uh, It really needs strong art direction. You at least need to like have an idea of what art style you're going for. I I love RPG maker horror because it's just like people in MS paint throwing some blobs down (laughs) and it looks really menacing and weird and uncanny. Uh, that that I think would work quite well for a board game. Just like, give me give me like the best of RPG horror in a in a deck of cards and play like Mysterium or Dixit with it. See, I would totally do. I I think having a random jump scare element is cool, but I think you have to figure out how to mechanically make it uh make it functional so that you don't know if or when it will happen. Like right. maybe it doesn't happen at all. And that makes for something more enticing. And I think that's where like you would have to do something with like mobile development or something. It wouldn't and I wouldn't want to put electronics in a board game, honestly, but I would. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Return to Dark Tower just came out recently, and uh that's another great cooperative game where you're kind of all battling against a, a foe that is slowly getting more powerful. And uh, that one used to be just a sort of battery-operated game. And I view a lot of, like, the phone app games as just the natural extension of battery-operated games. Right. It makes more sense. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot 
more cost efficient to not have to print this giant mechanical thing. Right. And, and, and there's been other other recent like remakes of old games, especially by restoration games that once used battery powered electronics and now just use phones. Well, I mean, if you look at five minute dungeon, I love that game and it's you download a phone app timer and it's it talks shit to you while you're playing like it's fun. So, like, I understand the necessity of it for sure. It's just one of those things. I'm like, man, there, there's this, like, board game purist part of me that's like, no, everything should be in the box. You don't yeah. need no batteries or electronics. Yeah, and as a designer, I do like the challenge of being like, okay, how can I make this work in a way that doesn't use a program? Right, limited resources, for sure. Yeah. Restrictions breeding creativity. Exactly, exactly. Um, now, my go ahead. favorite mechanic i would want to include in this hypothetical horror game that we haven't brought up at all is the hidden movement mechanic huh so uh a few years ago we covered fury of dracula and that is a great one because it is both like it has a lot of evocative writing in the card descriptions but also hidden movement is just so interesting to me because it is all about not knowing where something is and not only is it like it could creep up on you on any moment but there is the sense of like am i following the right clues am i on the right trail it it really sort of is a descent into madness very uh 23 if you know that movie yeah well i think i think you mentioned another thing there inadvertently which is just flavor text oh yeah like flavor text is a big deal and that goes a long way in like every card game. So like mm-hmm. if you want to keep a game grounded in horror, I think that's a great way to do it is you you bring that uh that you know just menacing or uh, unsettling flavor text back into it. Right. That's what betrayal has in spades. Right. It, it, it's cards don't have any art. Like the the cards that describe the events and stuff. Mhm. It's only flavor text and rules text. But the flavor text really pulls its weight there. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great way to keep the ambiance, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so striking imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, time element and what'd you call it? Shadow walking or hidden, hidden movement. movement? Hidden movement. Yes. Um. So hidden movement. What else? Have, what else have we said would make for hidden a, trader? Hidden trader. Yes. Does. That goes far. And it has to be a uh, cooperative game, in essence, right? That helps. That helps for sure, yeah. Because that definitely adds to the stress. Or asymmetric versus. Because Fury of Dracula is asymmetric, where one player is Dracula and all the other players are the vampire hunters. Okay, like, um, okay, that makes sense. And that's essentially what Betrayal ends up being as well. It does. It does. It uh, the the cool thing about betrayal is I feel like it almost happens uh, randomly. Oh, for sure, yeah. So because it's it's all dependent on what the like die roll is when you roll an omen that you draw exactly. and where the omen was. It's made to be as like random as possible. Exactly, and I think that's what makes that so enticing because you might end up being the traitor at some point, and that's <laughs> you're like, oh man, what am I gonna do if I have to screw my friends over? Stop mm-hmm. that, baby. I know. 
Yeah, have, not only not only do you have to screw your friends over, but you have to make sure they don't know what rules you need to follow here. Right. It, it, it's like I have to be so slimy and skeevy right now. It's not even funny. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I think that board games... I don't think the horror board game medium is at all explored fully. You know, no. there's, there's got to be so much more room in that design space. And I think it's going to take just a lot of time and tries and designers figuring out what the board game like medium does differently and independently that can make it work for a good horror experience. I agree. My, my actually, actually forget the whole timer app and everything mm-hmm. like just have like an ambient noise and or soundtrack app. Oh, d- dude. Just like um, a, an app that will sometimes like knock on the door or add creaking. You know, they have all these YouTube videos that are like 10 hours of silence interrupted by, uh, you know, the Taco Bell bong. Yeah, yeah. But you could do that with like creepy noises as well. Well, you know, what's funny. So you mentioned that. Do you remember the last night on Earth games? They came mm-hmm. with mood music. CDs. They did. So oh, that's that's so cool. Yeah, like you would you'd spend they were crazy expensive. Um so you'd spend like 120 bucks on one of these giant boxes. I think it was by like Flying Frog Games or something like that. Anywho, um so you'd pay an obscene amount of money and it came with several CDs of uh mood music and just different sound effects to use throughout the um throughout the sessions. Yeah. Those those sort of campaign-driven games, you have the benefit of knowing what scenes your characters are going to go right. into, or your players are going to do, and I think that's why like horror tabletop games are so good and so popular, is because the DM has the directorial control over all that. Agreed. I completely agree there. I think that helps drastically. Well, because when things start to get off of, uh, get off theme or get off that that feeling you can kind of pull them back into it like you said just redirecting everybody's attention back to the 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 creepiness or the uh you know the impending doom that lays just beyond um just beyond the horizon right uh, i also think so i i just sort of had this thought um there's a lot of cosmic horror in lovecraftian horror board games like we mentioned eldritch sign and arkham horror and the arkham horror lcg and all that um I, I i think so i have to shout out um oh god what is it it's like something words but there's a word game where you're trying to sort of make words oh. with cards in your hand yes and uh you know the cards are worth points it's like scrabble but then you can like lose your mind and go insane yeah it's uh like forbidden words or something like that yeah. it's it's you're basically trying to make a phrase that summons uh cthulhu yeah, but yeah. then as you lose more sanity, you can't make, like, normal English words. You have to make gibberish. Yep. And uh, I have to shout that out because Jeff always brings that game up when we talk about this type of topic. It's a but good-ass game, though. It's such Clever. a fun idea. Uh, another one that really plays into the role-playing aspect of encouraging players to sort of embody the, the rule set. Uh, and I, I think that that's another great example of, like, it's not necessarily... I mean, it is horror, but it, it definitely uses the horror aesthetic more than I think the outright fear or terror mm-hmm. that can happen. 
but it does so in a way that I think leads to a really memorable experience. Because, like, this this is sort of, like, there's Halloween-themed games, and then there's right. horror-themed games, and then there's horror games. Yeah. And it's more of a horror-themed game, but I think those are still very interesting and fun. Well, like, talking talking about this here, it's made me, like, oh, man. So, if I, I at some point or another, I'll sit down and start, like, designing another game. I think the next one that I do, I would want to be horror Mm-hmm. I think that'd be a blast and just ha- just try to make make the game as absolutely stressful as possible. Yeah, see, for Not me impossible being... though. Right, yeah. You you want it to seem impossible until you win. Exactly. Exactly. For, for me for being so like scared of things, I don't know if that would make me a good or bad horror designer. You know, <sighs> like would it be like, "Oh, this is something that would, you know, mess with my head." Or is it like, oh, this is something that not many other people will be, you know, affected by? Well, you 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 pick up on cues a little more easily than I think the average person does. So you understand what's actually making you tick at a given point in time in those games. So I think because of that, you could design one fairly well. Mm-hmm. Now, like the the aesthetics of like monsters and ghosts and like cryptids and stuff. Mm-hmm. I love that. Right. Uh, I I there's one video game I wanted to mention earlier that I never got around to, which is Luigi's Mansion. <laughs> Luigi's Mansion is fantastic. Uh I I'm I'm going to play it on stream pretty soon because it's, you know, Halloween season. Right. But like that is another one where it's not really scary. It it might be to like a, a you know, a toddler, but like the the usage of just a haunted mansion filled with ghosts that has like these weird like you know puzzles and passageways something will drop down from the ceiling and kind of shake its tongue at you i I love that type of thing well i think that's that's just mario you know yeah like you put them in a little bit darker of a place with luigi's mansion and you have more booze around Mm -hmm. other than that that's a pretty typical mario game sure oh there's also the piano in mario 64 Gotta love the piano for Mario 64. I I had honestly forgotten about Mario 64. So that, it's really funny because there was a whole renaissance of Mario 64 related like creepypasta and internet horror stuff recently. Okay. Uh, some of it were like ROM hacks of Mario 64 made to be very unsettling. Mm-hmm. Like just off of what Mario normally is. There was a whole sort of, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with Creepypasta. Not very. Them basically being like the internet version of urban legends and scary (laughs) stories. Okay, okay. Things that are like posted on a message board and then copied around uh, and and made to sound really spooky. Uh, There was one that was like talking about Mario 64 like changing itself to adapt to the player's unconscious desires but that would always make it really weird and creepy. There was also a whole thing about like how one of the worlds in Mario 64, wet dry world mm-hmm. has this like really negative feel to it. That's like very depressing and, uh, and sort of dark, but, but nobody could explain why there's, there's just all these sort of things converging about like Mario 64 being this creepy experience. 
And it was both really funny and also, like, some people got really creative with it. I mean, I feel like somehow, some way, that's almost how the Mario games are, though. They, they, I feel like they all have that, like, horror, horror aspect to them. Nintendo loves putting, like, surprise weird details in their games. They do. They do a good job at it, too, though. Shouts out to the uh, Hell Valley Sky Trees from Mario Galaxy 2. (laughs) That's a a fun one. Uh, Of course, if we're talking about creepypastas, you can't forget Ben Drowned, which spawned from the Elegy of Emptiness mask. uh, The Elegy of Emptiness song from Majora's Mask. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Lots of lots of lots of fun bits like that that just remind you that it's like, hey, you know, just because it's all bright and sunny doesn't mean that it's always bright and sunny. Right. Sometimes they like to sneak in a little fun as a treat. They a little spooky. Yeah, I was gonna say they they definitely sneak in like a a few little jabs here and there that are just enough to be like, oh, that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. But I still yeah. want to play it. Yeah, it's great. I uh, you know, I I love Metroid Dread. Uh, I played that, you know, when it came out, and that just pretty much outright has just, like, big monster chasing you moments uh, that are pretty stressful to deal with. But, like, it's pretty refreshing for uh, a Nintendo game, even if it's Metroid, which is one of their darker series anyways. Right. It's just like, oh, this is, like, a new experience for me for this type of game for this series. Something that I can't really stop that I have to like stay away from stealth away from <laughs> that, that I have to run. I have to run. Yeah. There's no, there's no surviving that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that always makes uh, the insurmountable odds like that always make, um make for something that's I- exciting and it'll get you sucked in. Like if I'm supposed to be scared right now, that'll definitely do it. You know, I'm yeah. completely surrounded by enemies that could crush me just because of the sheer numbers. It's the unstoppable enemy that I think really gets me. Okay. You got like the the Mr. X and Nemesis from Resident Evil. Okay. Uh in Sonic Adventure in Amy's storyline, there is a big robot that chases you that you can't kill. You can only like briefly stun. That got to me as a kid. It's uh it's yeah, it's the the feeling that like you can't fight this thing, so your only option is to run or delay the inevitable. Right. Whereas, right. like, if you can, you know, shoot down a bunch of zombies, it goes from feeling like a game where you need to run away from them to just, like, a power fantasy of, like, lawn mowing through a bunch of grass. Right. How can I find a way to kill as many as possible as quick as possible? Yeah. Which is still fun to me. I'm a I'm a big fan of vampire survivors, but, like... It's it's a completely different dynamic at that point. It is. You're you're a hundred percent right. Well, we're we're cutting it close on time now. Um, what uh, what are some things that that you're doing that you'd like to let the listeners know about, and right. some things that you're excited about here? Uh, so I've already alluded to and mentioned NetSurfer Pro, mm-hmm. my other podcast where I talk about internet uh media and just sort of do analytical deep dives into different media around the 21st century usually things related to the internet so like uh we've covered a lot of movies video games tv shows music and just sort of internet media like internet videos memes uh such like that 
And for for October, we have been doing Spooky Month, where we've talked about uh, Super Mario 64 Creepypasta. Uh, We talked about Piglet's Big Game. Okay. We're going to cover Analog Horror Series next, which is sort of a whole horror subgenre that's popped up in the last five to ten years. Okay. And then last year, we covered a whole bunch of creepy video game related things like pets cop or catastrophe crow (laughs) and ben drowned of course of course uh and then uh i also want to plug my stream twitch.tv slash twack yeah t-w-a-k where i stream uh during the week i am planning on streaming luigi's mansion as i said i just finished playing through the first pikmin all the way which is a great game that is a uh, dope ass game, dude. It's it's goaded and it's also one of Nintendo's great post-apocalyptic hits. They love making post-apoc games. They really do. Kirby does it twice. Um, yes, he does, doesn't he? I never mm-hmm. even thought of that. Kirby 64 has Earth frozen over. Yep. And the newest one is just Kirby goes to Earth. That's and crazy. goes to like Walmart. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. It's like Wally, but Kirby. Uh, and then also in November, on November, let me get this right, 11th, 14th, 16th, and 18th, I'll be doing charity streams to raise money for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Oh, that's right. Which is a charity that's really near and dear to me. Uh, I'll be streaming Fortune Street, and then uh, probably one of the Pajama Sam games. Nice. Because uh, I've been playing through all the humongous entertainment point-and-click adventure games. And then some randomizers that I'm really excited to try out on stream. Uh, the Witness randomizer and La Mulana 2 randomizer. That's going to be freaking sweet. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be a solid week, give or take, of uh, streams for charity. Hell Yeah. That's fantastic. And that's uh, twitch.com slash twack. Twitch.tv slash twack. Yeah, I'm sorry. Dot TV slash twack. Yeah, I I still, I'm not used to the whole dot TV slash dot com thing. I'm so old, I've not realized yet that we're doing dot FM and dot TV now with regularity. Yeah, there's there's so many weird subdomains Mm -hmm. or or like whatever they're called. Uh, You know, there's like dot pizza, dot men, I've heard. Yeah. Dot pizza? Yeah. Shoutouts to Axe Dot Pizza. Holy shit, that's Best brilliant. Pikachu player. Yeah, I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. I love pizza as well. Just just using something off the wall is is the you know, is the proverbial dot com or dot net. Mm-hmm. That's magical. It's, it makes it a little bit more memorable at times. It really does. Yeah, yeah. if you're like go to dominos.com dot pizza. Or dominoes.pizza instead of dominoes.com. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I, I need to go there to get pizza. Yeah, it's it makes the pizza sense. place. Exactly. You would be the one and only at that point. No, that's brilliant. We need to, <laughs> I need to buy a bunch of domains and subdomains with just off the wall shit like that. Mm-hmm. My wife would be like, why'd you spend $4,000 on domain names? I'd be like, well, I've got all the dot pizzas. So when Domino's and Pizza Hut come a knocking, We'll, we'll be able to sell this shit like real estate. The highest risk domain troll. <laughs> it's like squatting in Antarctica. Oh, man. I had somebody try to sell me one. It was uh for Who Wears the Pants, that podcast. I had um, reached out about purchasing 
the domain who wears the pants.com. And somebody was like, yeah, um, $16,000 and it's yours. And I was like, yeah, you can fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, I have who wears the pants So I'm good. And they're like, well, do you want to make a counteroffer? And I was like, no, I was like, you're on drugs. If you think I'm going to pay that for this website. And they're like, well, how much would you pay? I'm like, I won't, I won't pay for it. I would pay $20 like I did for the one that I got. Yeah. That's it. Oh, I wonder if man. there's a dot pants subdomain. There's, oh man. Well, the thing is, is so I have two episodes that I'm, I actually need to edit for that show right now. I've been holding on to them for a minute. I'm, it's the last two episodes and I, it's this weird thing where like, I know it, we're done recording it and I know as soon as I post them, it's over and it's like this very daunting thing to actually get them done. I don't want it to be over yet, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's it it's pulling at my heartstrings a little, if you will. Mm-hmm. But yeah, okay. So, um, people need to be paying attention to you on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many? You said you're streaming most weekdays, right? Yeah. Sweet. If Sweet. I'm not recording or editing a podcast, that I'm streaming. Hell's yeah! Are you making money on it? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Boom! I am a Twitch affiliate. About. There are some fun emotes there. See if you can spot the references in all of them. See, I'm trying to get affiliate right now. Like, I've never dived into Twitch the way that I should have. So now I'm, like, starting to try to do it more. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm horrible at Twitching. It's about consistency, finding a community. Like, a lot of my followers came from, like, speedruns and fighting games that I play. Right. Uh, but like, if you're just like a new variety streamer, then it's impossible. It I seems for the most part, I stream Overwatch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been I've been fortunate there because that has a large following right now. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll dick yeah. around with that later, and I'll pick your brain on it at some point. I'm sure. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you for hanging out. Yeah, um, thanks for having me back on. Of course, after all these years, yeah, right? We'll we'll do it again soon. Uh, yeah, I'd actually I've had trouble getting hold of Jeff recently, but as soon as I get a hold of him, I'm gonna try to get him on one as well because he's always fun to have. I mean, that man's very busy. I can imagine. I can imagine. I mean, you know, newly married and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a lot on his plate, but uh, I don't know. Next, I I think if um, whenever I'm able to get a hold of him, we'll schedule like an in person podcast. Yeah. And we'll all get together and do something with that. I think that'd be fun. And we can, uh, I don't know, maybe we could, I think it'd be cool to, because you love doing game design, maybe go through and just make a bullshit game. Mm-hmm. Just on the fly there, just to kind of show everybody what game design is like. Well, the thing is, game design is 90% playtesting. Oh, 100%. So we can't do yeah. that all on, on a podcast episode. <laughs> no, but we could. We would definitely be able just to show them like, uh, how we get our, our skeleton. Yeah. You know, the thing that you from from there have to flesh out. And yes, you are 100% right. Playtesting is <laughs> where you find out how broken your initial idea actually was. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll be able to get you on NetSurfer Pro sometime. Why don't you just holler at me? I'll come, I'll come do NetSurfer. Talk about a shitty movie or something. I love it. I love it. All right, man. Well, hey, um, you enjoy the rest of your day, brother. Mm-hmm. You too. All right. See ya. See ya.